I greet you all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to be be with you. It's great to be with you guys again to go over and study and talk about the wonderful letter called James. Let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, thank you for bringing us here by your grace, by your mercy. Thank you for bringing us here by your loving kindness. Father, you have saved us. You have redeemed us. You have given us your spirit. You have implanted the word inside of us and let us be doers of that word. Let us not only be hearers, but let us walk the way you want us to walk. Lord, I pray that that tonight you will be with your saints. Lord, that you will reveal to them things in their lives that they need to change. You will confront them with issues, with things that they need to address. Holy Spirit, use me. Speak through me. Be, may I be your mouthpiece this evening. May your people not hear me or see me, but hear and see you. Open the hearts, minds, and ears of your people. Lord, I stand under the word this evening. I don't stand over this word. I stand under it because, Lord, I'm preaching to myself as well. May we do this all for the glory of your name. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Like I said, it was great. it's good to be with you this evening. I uh, hope everyone had a great Easter, great Resurrection Sunday. I surely did. Uh, ate a lot. And I hope you guys ate as well. <clears throat> As you know, we come this evening to continue our study to the letter written to the 12 tribes of the dispersion called the letter of James. I hope this has been a a great blessing for you all. It's been a great blessing for me to study through this and to get something ready. As you know, James is the letter or is a letter that is. Well, his primary concern is visible Christianity. That's James' primary concern, visible Christianity. If the church says we follow the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, if we say we follow the teachings of Jesus Christ, then the church better look like they follow the Lord, Jesus Christ. That's something that's lacking in our churches in this day and age. Churches are not looking like churches anymore. I'm not talking about churches need to have wooden pews. I'm not talking about churches need to sing uh, hymns and, and all that. I'm talking about the message that's being proclaimed, the message that's being preached. Churches are, are slowly falling away from what orthodox evangelical Christianity should look like. And I pray that, that we don't fall into that same trap. That same temptation as well. In trying to please the world, to bring people in, we, we distort, we change the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that you don't do that in your evangelism as well. Um, but we know that James is written to people who are, who are of the church, who are in desperate need of some sort of encouragement. And last time we were together, we saw that What marks true Christianity? We saw what makes a true Christian. What separates true Christians from false Christians? And we learned that true Christians are quick to hear. 
that in a trial, in a temptation, even out of a trial, out of a temptation, when everything is going fine, Christians are quick to hear the word of God. Christians run to the word of God. The word of God is the source of their strength, the source of their wisdom, and the the word of God is a light to their feet. We learn that true Christians are slow to speak, that true Christians watch their tongues, and they watch their words carefully. They guard the things that they say. And lastly, we saw true followers of Christ are slow to anger. If we are to reflect the love and kindness that God has shown to us, our anger, especially how fast we get angry, needs to be checked at the front door. Question, how have you been doing in those areas in the past week? Has anyone failed in those areas at all? I'll be the first to raise my hand. I have failed in all three areas. But another question, did you put into practice anything that we spoke about last week? Did you even reflect upon what we spoke about last week? Or was last week's message really, really good and it was really encouraging, but that's where it stops? I'll speak more about that in a minute. But as you know, when I usually start my sermons, I usually ask a question or I'll, I'll give you guys some weird quote. But I have a question for you, brothers and sisters, this evening. What is religion? What is religion? I, like many of you, grew up in a religious family, a religious home. Bibles were everywhere in my house. Everywhere. Uh, If the church doors were open, more than likely I was there. Uh, My mother was a teacher at the nursery and children's church for a little while. And then my father was the assistant pastor. I was the preacher's kid. And my brother grew up to be the youth minister and taking over this congregation. So I know what it means to be religious. And I'm pretty sure many of you know what it means to be religious. But I wonder, how would you define religion? How would you define religion? Webster's Dictionary defines religion as the belief in a God or in a group of gods. The belief in a God or in a group of gods. An organized system of beliefs, ceremonies, and rules used to worship a God or a group of gods. An organized system of beliefs, ceremonies, or rules used to worship a God or a group of gods. Uh, The Dalai Lama defined religion like this. My religion is very simple. My religion is kindness. Malcolm X said, I believe in a religion that believes in freedom. Anytime I have to accept a religion that won't let me fight a battle for my people, I have to say the heck with that religion. Religion is a very controversial word. It's a very misunderstood and wrongly defined word. I think if you ask a number of people who are of the faith to define religion, many would say religion is bad. Religion is all law. Religion is a list of do's and don'ts. When people hear the word religion, they tend to think of rules and rituals and dogma, pastors, priests, and institutions. People love Oprah religion. They love Joe Osteen type religion, where it's all type of relationship 
but no obedience. All relationship, but no church. People want spiritual, not religious Christianity. Man, religion is, some would say religion is man, is, is man reaching up to God, and the gospel is God reaching down to man. Now, I agree, if religion is all about doing this and not doing that, then Muslims, Catholics, and Judaism, they got everything right. If your definition of religion is you can earn your salvation or you can keep your salvation by doing God's law and practicing rituals and etc., then your definition of religion is false. Many think the word religion, word religion is bad. But here in our verses this evening, James agrees. One who is religious can deceive themselves and can make religion out to be a bad thing. But James also believes religion can be a good thing. It can be a very good thing. But it's only good when it's pure and genuine. Religion is only good when it's pure and genuine. And those are my two points tonight. Religion that is self-deceiving and religion that is pure and genuine. Religion that is self-deceiving and religion that is pure and genuine. Uh, this is not in the sermon. Who is cold in here by a show of hands? Anyone? Okay, good. If we can, turn it down just a little bit. Because if you don't know, when you stand up here, it's like 30 degrees colder. That's why I keep touching my hands, because I'm very cold right now. So religion that is self-deceiving, religion and religion that is pure and genuine. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. If you have a Bible, please open them. Follow along the whole night, please. And you will be greatly helped. James chapter 1, verses 22 to 27. James chapter 1, verses 22 to 27. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he has, what he was like. Verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and preserves, or perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not brittle his tongue but deceives his heart, his person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You may be seated. So let's first look at the, the first point. And that is religion that is self-deceiving. Religion that is self-deceiving. First, let's ask, what does it mean to deceive yourself? What does it mean to deceive yourself? Well, it's simple. Someone who deceives themselves is someone who believes something about themselves that's not true. It's someone who believes something about themselves, but it's totally contrary to what the truth is. One example of this is fighters. Fighters always self-deceive themselves, and they always self-deceive others as well. You know, boxers and UFC fighters, they're, they're great masters at this. 
They make fans and media believe that they are such a great fighter, but in reality, they aren't. But what's worse is when that fighter actually believes the lies that he's telling the public and he ends up getting knocked out. He is deceiving himself. And likewise, in our verse here, James tells us not to deceive ourselves. Look at verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I love the New Living Translation version, which says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. Last week, we learned that we must be quick to hear God's word. We must run to the word of God and listen and read carefully to the word of God. When there's a trial or when there's not a trial, we're to dash to the word of God. But here, James takes it a step further. He goes a little bit further. Not only are we to listen to God's word, but we are we must do what it says. Not only are we to listen to God's word, but we must do what it says. Not only are we to have an intellectual knowledge of God's word, but we are to practice living God's word every day in our Christian lives. And brothers and sisters, at times, that is not the easiest thing to do. Actually, at times, it's the hardest thing to do. In fact, the majority of us have a problem with acting upon what we know to be true. Do we not? Let me give you an example. I know that sweet surrender cookies, I know that In-N-Out burgers are bad for my health. I know I shouldn't be eating as much Mexican bread as I do or drink as many Cokes as I do, yet I still do it. I have an intellectual knowledge of why I shouldn't be eating those things. I know all the risk factors, yet I always fail to act upon what I know. I might look healthy from the outside, but what James, or like James says, I could be deceiving myself. I'd be go, I could go to the uh, doctors and they can give me a diagnosis right now of high blood pressure and diabetes. But I would have never known. And if you're honest, you're the same way. Maybe your deception doesn't come from your health, but brothers and sisters, ask yourself, what in your life could you possibly be deceiving yourself in? Maybe you think you being on social media networks is not taking away from your study time in God's word. Until the whole day goes by, you may notice you've opened your Facebook or Instagram app more than you opened your Bible. Maybe you're deceiving yourself and thinking you have your sin under control. But it's the times when we think we are in control, we are actually the most vulnerable to our sin and to everything else. Or maybe you're deceiving yourself and thinking you're a Christian, but you're really not. What is the first mark of religion that is self-deceiving? The first mark is not doing God's word. The first mark of religion that is self-deceiving is not doing God's word. Oh, not obeying and actually putting into practice what God says is true is the first mark of you deceiving yourself, of you not being a true Christian. We think that us surrendering our life to the Lord and accepting Christ as our Savior and Lord, then our job is done. We've done our part. But not being a doer of God's word reveals that you haven't surrendered your life at all to Christ. That's self-deception. It's a bad thing when you fool everyone else. But it's even worse when you start fooling yourself. Then you're really in deep trouble. 
Brothers and sisters, right now, while I'm speaking to you, you yourself could be deceiving yourself. Have you ever thought about that? That listening to a sermon, you could be deceiving yourself. Your sin and your flesh have an invested interest in you not doing and applying and listening to God's word. Your sin and your flesh have an invested interest in you not doing, applying, and hearing God's word. Some of you guys' flesh is right now is saying, man, I'm hungry. And I hope this dude finished soon. Gosh, I'm here on a Wednesday, ain't I? I can't be deceiving myself. I'm real. I could be doing anything in this world right now, but I'm here. Man, it's kind of, it's kind of cold in here. The way I like it. Perfect climate for a nap. Ah, I obey God's word. I'm just going to tune out. Isaiah's preaching. He don't use big words or he don't use the Greek enough like John. Or he doesn't preach with passion. And he's not as theological as Antonio. Those are my favorites. So I'm just going to, I'm going to sit this service out. Friends, I wouldn't be surprised right now if any one of those things, any one of those examples were true. You listening to God's word and you intently looking at me right now with that stone face in your mind, in your heart, your flesh is trying to pull you away from everything that I'm saying. Brothers and sisters, do you realize that you are in a very dangerous position? That you are in a very dangerous position. Have you ever thought about that? Because you sit here and you hear the word of God. You're storing up all this great knowledge and wisdom. But if you do nothing with it, then the Bible says it's better off if you didn't know it in the first place. I'm in the same boat. I love learning. I love gaining knowledge. I enjoy the preparation for a sermon more than actually preaching the sermon. I love studying and learning. But you have to understand, according to James, there is a danger in that. A big danger in that. It is possible for me to be more interested in learning and trying to obtain all this theological knowledge than obeying and living what I've learned. Friends, don't gain all this information that you learn from here and and in your own study time And not process it and do anything with it. Don't deceive yourselves. Learning only for gaining knowledge is a very dangerous and very dangerous and only puffs you up. I can attest to that. But actually trying to practice and apply what you have learned humbles you. And you bear much fruit out of that. Friends, Let our fruit bearing and our pursuit of theological knowledge be in harmony with one another. They're not distant from one another, but they're they're in sync. They're in harmony. Allow your high theology to lead you to low praise giving doxology. Mark Dever said, you can be in the land of plenty, but starve yourself spiritually if you're not careful. Friends, no one's going to make you do All that God requires for you to do. You have to pray and you have to meditate on these things daily. So if you're a sermon enjoyer like me, you need to be careful. You need to be very careful. Because with each sermon you learn, you increase your accountability 
and your responsibility to act upon what you have learned. There are even some in here who judge how good my preaching is and how well the sermon is formatted and the delivery of the sermon. You think you're judging me, but in reality, God's word is judging you. You are storing up accountability and responsibility before God for the truth that has been presented to you. I can come up here and I can preach like Charles Spurgeon, like John Piper, like Paul Washer, and completely blow your socks off. But friends, that sermon would mean nothing. It would absolutely mean nothing if you do nothing with it. Friends, the way I can tell how much you're getting out of this message, the way I can tell how much you're getting out of this sermon is not your stares, is not your amens, is not the nodding of your heads, or after service, how much you praise me for how good it was. But the way I can tell the sermon is speaking into your life is by the life you live when you leave here. When I ask you two weeks from now, hey, how are you doing in being slow to speak, being quick to listen, being slow to anger? That's the real testament of you, if you are listening or not. How will you worship God in light of what you just heard? Pray that you will allow that you will not allow yourself to just listen to God's word, but but you will act upon God's word. One practical way of doing this is simple Bible readings. After you're done reading, take two to five minutes and really pray that passage over your life. Really consider what was said in that passage and then pray it over your life. Pray that the Holy Spirit will remind you of what you just read and pray that your life will be a reflection of God's word. Friends, don't deceive yourself. John, 1 John 1 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Galatians 6, 7, Paul warns those who think that they can get away with sin. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, he shall also reap. Brothers and sisters, pray that you do not fall into the trap of self-deception. Really pray that over your life. Pray for me and and pray for the others who are in this church as well, because I can deceive myself as well. Pray for me. Pray for others. Being a hearer of God's word and not a doer marks you out as not a true Christian. Listen to the analogy that James gives us in verses 23 and 24. For if... Anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer. He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes and goes away and once forgets what he is like. Now, a first century mirror would be a high polished metal and it did the job. But what James is speaking of is that mirror is God's word. That mirror is God's word. God's word reveals to you who you look like. The Bible shows the truth about yourself. And and friends, have you ever noticed that the Bible does not flatter us? It sometimes does, but most of the time it does not. The Bible speaks of who you are and who God is. In bold, underlined, and large print. And those who read God's word and do nothing with it, James says, it's like looking in the mirror and quickly forgetting what you look like. Friends, we must continually be looking at the perfect mirror of God's word to remind us of how we need, how much we need God's grace and mercy in our lives. We need to be reminded of who we are in Christ and who we are outside of Christ. The word of God 
As Hebrews 4.12 says, is, is the mirror that reveals to us the very thoughts and intentions of our hearts. It shows us our ugly, self-centered attitudes. It exposes our pride. It confronts our contempt with others and our lack of compassion. It hits our sinful anger and our rotten speech. It uncovers our deception, greed, and lust. And if we take just a quick glance at the word every once in a while and then rush to the door without doing anything to address the problems at that moment, then it won't do us any good. Brothers and sisters, learn and, and, and strive to often check yourselves in the mirror. And then when you do check yourself in that mirror, fix what's happening and fix what's wrong with you right on the spot. Let's start caring more about our inner and spiritual appearance than fixing what's wrong with us on the outside. And we don't do that by looking intently at God's word. So friends, how would you describe your hearing of God's word this morning or this evening? Uh, Is it one of humble acceptance that's ready to put into practice what you have learned? Or is it one of proud knowledge collecting interest? Which one is it? Friends, you do realize the most important part of the sermon is after it's preached. What are you going to do with it? I'm always happy to hear some of you tell me how much you enjoy the sermon, but I'm more interested in seeing how you're living and handling these things two weeks from now. Are you putting into practice what you have learned? Pray that you do so. Let's look at the second mark of of religion that is self-deceiving. James says, in verse 26, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not brittle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Question, brothers and sisters, do you control your tongue? By a show of hands, who controls their tongue? Great, because last week you lied. We all don't control our tongue. <clears throat> and if you don't control your tongue... If you're that one that says, I do control my tongue, then James here compares you to a wild horse who needs his mouth strapped up. To brittle your tongue is to restrain it, is to discipline it, is to keep it under control. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Paul says only things that build the brother and sister up should be coming out of your mouth. But if you're a chatterbox that loves to speak your mind and you never hold anything back, then your mouth needs to have a muzzle on it. If we say we are a Christian and do not control our speech, then our Christianity is worthless, as James says. Proverbs 21:23 says, Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of control. Some of you need to get that tattooed on you. Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. There's great wisdom in that. Let us pray and, and say like the psalmist in Psalm nineteen fourteen: let the words of my mouth and my meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I'm also reminded of Jesus when he said on the last day, we will give an account of every idle word. That is very scary. Friends, be careful with what you say. Create relationships with people, with one another, so that they know whatever is coming out of your mouth is coming from a good heart, 
from a sincere and tender heart. So when you do pop out of the mouth, they know where it's coming from. A loosened tongue, nine times out of ten, will always, always hurt others around you. But it hurts you even more. Because what you do is you teach other people to avoid you. You know, if you're always popping off of the mouth with no control of your words, people are not going to want to talk to you. I'm a testament to that. Control your words, friends. So that's religion that is self-deceiving. Now let's look at religion that is not self-deceiving, but religion that is pure and genuine. Religion that is pure and genuine. Unlike what many say about religion, how religion is evil, how religion is just a list of do's and don'ts, how religion starts wars. James, however, says in our verses, religion can be a good thing. But it's only good when it comes from a pure and genuine heart. Look at verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this. To visit orphans in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's first ask, why would James mention these two groups? Orphans and widows. That's very strange, isn't it? Is there something special about orphans and widows? Well, indeed there is. Because the Bible mentions orphans and widows as the object of God's special care and compassion. Psalm 68.5 says, Father to the fatherless, defender of the widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. In Isaiah 1.17, one of the reasons why God judges Israel is for the neglect of orphans and widows. Orphans are those whom have lost one or both parents. Widows are those whom have lost their significant other. Both groups left alone and helpless. James here is exhorting us to help those two types of people. Friends, if we are to help those who are in need, friends, we are to help those who are in need, but but we're also to give special attention to those whom God gives special attention to as well. When James uses the word visit in verse 27, I don't think he merely means to just make house calls and make house visits. I think what he means is we are to offer our service to them. We were to pray for them, comfort them. We were to offer them a place to sleep, offer our homes to them, offer our fridge to them, offer our car to them. There are some women in this building who are widows yourselves. My mother is one of them. And if you are here and if you are a widow, let me tell you that you are an encouragement to us all. From the bottom of my heart, you are an encouragement to all of us. You minister a powerful message to all of us because you show that your happiness and joy is not found in your significant other whom you lost, but your peace is found in Christ whom will never leave you. Your marriage to that man might have ended and it might have passed on, but your marriage to Christ will last forever. Keep striving ahead, sisters. Keep being a model of what it means for a Christian to stand in the midst of the most difficult times. And circumstances. Some of you women, younger women, can learn a lot from these older women. And many of you have taken that and ran with it. And I praise God of your willingness to come alongside someone to learn from them and gain as much knowledge from them as possible. Let us consider orphans. How appropriate are orphans are as the object of God's love. 
Because, beloved, we have orphaned ourselves. We have lost our relationship with our Father, God. But in God's loving kindness and his mercy, he came down and he bought us. And he brought us to himself. And he adopted us as sons and daughters, calling us his very own. How amazing is that? Let us show the same love and compassion to those whom are fatherless that God our Father has shown to us. Now, I think orphans and widows are the ones whom we take special care of, but I don't think James is just saying that all of our love and compassion should be limited to just them. No, we were to help anyone and everyone who is in need. Question, brothers and sisters, do you have a heart for the needy? You might say you do. You might say, well, I give money to the homeless people every time they ask, or when Louis goes out, I'm the first one there to the hungry and homeless. But I think, even though that's great, but I, but I think what you should ask yourself is when was the last time you not only gave money to a homeless person, thinking that it would be a quick fix, but you actually got out of your car and you sat alongside of them and you talked with them, possibly created a relationship with them. Hopefully, by God's grace, share the gospel with them. When was the last time when you went to the hungry and homeless, not just to pass out a bag, but to share the gospel with as many people as you can? You know, we often think that people who are in need are only concerned with material things, money, a job, food, and a house, which may be true, but that doesn't mean that your concern, or that should be your concern for them as well. Friends, the greatest problem in our world is not a lack of material resources. The greatest problem in our world is they need to be rescued from God. People need to be reconciled back to a holy God. People need the gospel. I encourage you, friends, to start seeing the real problem with humanity. And you know where the remedy is. It's only found in Jesus Christ. Let us be people who do not only help those who are outside of these walls, but let us help people who are in this congregation as well. Older members of this church who are up there in age and you know who you are. Look at all these young and middle-aged people. Just look around. Some coming from broken homes and broken families, left fatherless some. Think of, about, think of, a, think of a better way and, and think of a great resource and service you would be if you came alongside of one of them and actually showed them what it means to follow Christ. Invite them to dinner. Show them what it looks like not to walk with the Lord for two or three years, but for two to three to four decades. Step out of your comfort zone. So ask yourselves, are there members of this congregation or neighborhood that you can serve and you can help out? That's a great question to ask yourself. Friends, if you're married, have you ever considered adoption? I think that's a great and wonderful thing. And I think you will have much joy and you will have a lasting impact on that young person's life that you have adopted. That son or daughter. Because you, you will be presenting a powerful picture of the gospel in that. Those who walk with a person through the death and, and with a widow who is coping with their loss, you guys are honoring God. And praise God if you are doing that right now in this moment. Look at the second way in which religion can be pure and genuine. 
The ending of verse 27, James says to keep oneself unstained from the world. I don't need to give you a whole sermon on how corrupt the world is. You know, friends, as you know, the world can give you nothing. It may offer you much, but it's all rubbish compared to what you have in Christ. James tells us that true Christians are to keep ourselves from the world. We are to not let this world corrupt us. There are so many Christians who succumb to this world and its temptations, ultimately giving into sin and leaving the faith altogether. So many Christians that do that. Friends, don't let this world and its sin and its vices lure you away from Christ and the blessings and the riches that you have in him. You may ask, how can this be done? How can I overcome the world and its temptations? Well, James gives us the answer in verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. What a great scripture that is. A great verse that is. A great verse for you to memorize and for you to meditate on. How do you overcome the world? By abiding in God's word. It's by listening to God's word. It's by obeying God's word. I think it's very interesting what James calls God's word. Did you, did you catch that? The perfect law of liberty. We often don't see law being liberty or law giving freedom. That's a very provocative way to, to say what the word of God is. But friend, that's exactly what the word of God does. That's exactly what the word of God gives. Gives you freedom. I think James here is referring ultimately to Christ. The whole Bible is about one man, Christ. The Old Testament promises Christ. The New Testament reveals Christ. The scriptures of Christ gives us freedom. You know, we often think by us becoming Christians, we actually lose our freedom. It's actually quite opposite. We are no longer slaves to our sin like the world is. But God has given us freedom in Christ. Jesus says in John 8, verses 31 through 36, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. But get this, the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Question, friends. Have you come here this evening in bondage to sin? Have you come here this evening in bondage to the world and its temptations? Maybe you know someone that currently is. Relay this message to them. And let me tell you this. The word of God, the message about Christ can set you free. Explore the freedom that is yours in Christ You can only do that by reading and obeying God's word. Friends, the more meek and humble we become to God's word, the more bold and unashamed we become before the world. And what happens when you obey God's word, James tells us at the end of verse 25, being a hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I love how plain the New Living Translation puts it. And if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. James, echoing the words of Jesus in John 13, 17, now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. So the world tells you happiness and riches come from 
Sex, money, nice cars, nice homes, even family and friends. James and Jesus tells us blessings come from those who obey God's word. In closing, Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, 24 through 27, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Verse 26, and, whoever, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell. And hear this, and great was the fall of it. Brothers and sisters, have you built your house on a solid foundation? Ask yourself that this evening. Do I obey God's word? Do I do what God tells me to do? Or am I just deceiving myself? Ask yourself, do I love God's word? And, and do I love hearing God's word than actually obeying them? You know, we all love powerful and great sermons. What seems to be forgotten is the application part. Friends, you can fool everyone. You can fool everyone in this building and in your, and in your house and in your family. But you can't fool God. And the truth will come to the light when the rain starts to come and the floods start to come. And you will fall and what a great fall that will be. Friends, ask yourself, do I control my tongue? You know, it's okay not to have the last word at times. I'm, I'm preaching to myself. Humble yourself and learn how to tame and control your words. And when you do speak, let your words be wise. When you're with your coworkers at work, use godly biblical language instead of worldly foolishness. When your friends ask you for advice, give them godly wisdom instead of the world's opinion. Ask yourselves if you're doing as much as you can to help others in need. Friends, create a list of people who you think that are in need and then act upon it. And lastly, brothers and sisters, pursue Christ. Pursue him with all your might, with all your passion. Chase after Christ. Do not let this world deceive you. The world can only offer you shackles and chains. Christ in his word offers you wings and offers you freedom. I pray you reflect on these things before you rest your head at night as you move on to the rest of your week. Remember what was spoken tonight and may your obedience to God's word bless you all the days of your life. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for this time. I pray, Lord, that that was some encouragement. That was a challenge. I pray, Lord, that that, Lord, you will help us in every area where we lack. Help us, Lord, not deceive ourselves. Help us be true to what we read, to what we hear. Let us act upon what we know.